All right, time again for another Radio Friendly Unit Shifters podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, and my uh, amazing guest this week from days gone by in our uh, shared time in the uh, radio and records biz. <laughs> I once tried to get the job that she left in Austin, Texas. I'm not sure if she's aware of this, but uh, Melanie Strotter. Hello, welcome. Hey, how's Good it going? Good to see you. So, I want to start off by saying I'm a Chicago White Sox fan, sort of. Uh, we can get into that later if we need to, but there was Outside. a no-hitter was a no -hitter, uh, the other day against your yes. Pirates, so I apologize for that because I know you're a long-suffering Pirates fan, right? Yeah, you know, like, we don't even care anymore. <laughs> I mean... That's the way it's been for White Sox fans, yeah, for the past <laughs> 10 years. We finally have some decent players this year, but... Um, and the whole, how did they let Garrett Cole get away so easily? I hope you got some good players for him because he's turned into no, the greatest we just got ever. like a handful of prospects that will probably not pan out. I mean, it. we just, we have a terrible owner is the truth of the matter. And yeah. we're just never going to have a good team as long as he owns the team. There was like a brief glimpse along the way you know, when we had Andrew McCutcheon and we had a one game play in and, and I actually got to be in the stadium for that. And I have never, people say that they feel electric in a certain type of crowd. And I have never, ever felt that except at that time. Like it was astounding it was absolutely amazing and I don't really have any confidence I'm ever gonna have that again it's different baseball is our American soul you know I think that people have a hard time sometimes wrapping their arms around that or accepting that and you know for me I mean, the Pirates have been pretty bad for my entire life. You know, we had that brief glimpse in the early 90s that was exciting. And then the brief glimpse again a couple of years ago. But generally speaking, like... Do you have any memories of the We Are Family era? I still remember them a little I, bit. I absolutely do. Yeah. I even have a We Are Family shirt that was sort of my first gateway into sports, really. Like, my parents like sports, but just kind of vaguely, like, for an excuse for a potluck. We watched Pirates games and Steelers games when I was a little kid. But basically, like, in middle school, when the Pirates finally started to be good... The Steelers weren't really good for my entire childhood. And then it wasn't until late in high school that the Penguins were amazing. Yeah. And and I kind of converted into a hockey fan. And it's funny because I really love basketball like to watch as a sport. Mm -hmm. But we've never had 
a team here and yeah. you know a couple of times like the Duquesne basketball team or the Pitt basketball team has been pretty good but you know we've never had an NBA team and I sort of feel I don't know I feel like I missed out on that but it seems anyway. like a football hockey town more so than uh, oh yeah any other sports is there an MLS team there yeah but it's pretty under the radar yeah well uh, one of my fondest childhood memories is uh I think I was third or fourth grade throwing the football around on the playground and the older kids who at that point had never acknowledged my existence and I was way too intimidated <laughs> to even uh, say anything to them I, I kind of acquired the, the Terry Bradshaw nickname at the time because they <laughs> thought I threw the football well I guess so and he was all the rage nice. at the time you know so but I do want to ask you um getting into the the music side of things here um so Phil Collins was brought up on your uh, Facebook page recently. So. Really? We're going right there? <laughs> I figured we'd just get right into it. This, oh my gosh. It was so funny because you had posted that early last week and then we were going to have a, have a talk. I think it was that same day and then we had to kind of modify the plans a little bit. But I, we literally heard as uh, my son and I were out running errands we drive to this town that's about 15 miles away. So on the way, we heard Sue Studio on the, the oldie station <laughs> that we listened to. Coming back about an hour and a half later, we heard Invisible Touch by Genesis on the same station. Fantastic. <laughs> but it just well, struck me, you know, some of those lyrics are just, but the sound of the records just sticks with you and they're just great, well-produced I mean, songs, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> It's really funny that this is the first place you're going to musically with me, but I can't, I can't help but be effusive about, I mean, I love, 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 love Phil Collins and Genesis. And I mean, there's a part of it that is just like nostalgic, like my, my mom really loves Genesis and Phil Collins and so we lived in a town that was like an hour away from my grandparents houses and so every Sunday we would drive up and visit each of my grandparents houses and on the way up we would listen to Casey Kasem doing the top 40 and on the way back, we would listen to an album or two. And I mean, it's been a long, long time since I have heard a Genesis album from start to finish. But when I was eight or 10, I heard those on the regular. And <laughs> yeah, you referred to the Facebook posts I made and... It's funny because there there are certain artists that you just feel like you have to apologize for loving. But you know what? Phil Collins is awesome. You have two boys that are a little bit older than my son. And I just wonder how they're processing. Because I know you probably want to throw your entire, you know, 
lifetime of knowledge of music at them. <laughs> have you tried to kind of space that out a little bit? Like, yes. Um, so uh, we do it in a very directed way. Like we're trying to drop knowledge on them in a very sort of precise and consistent way. And so both Matt and I, we make a playlist for each year of songs that we feel like they should absorb and know. And a lot of the songs are contemporary, new to that year. And then also a bunch of them are like things that we thought of like, oh, you know, they need to know who Bootsy Collins is and they need to know who Donna Summer is and stuff. We turn on in the car and in the house and we're trying to, I would say familiarize, but really it's it's probably more like ingrained into them, like the the songs and artists we think are important and we do one each year we go all over the map like uh the jayhawks the flaming lips dolly parton um a tribe called quest like we're we're just trying to you know we're trying to make them it sounds kind of mean this way but we're trying to make them you know into the same kind of music lovers that we are and to be able to identify voices and styles and i really love when just like some random johnny cash or bob dylan song comes on the radio on WYEP and and Hank is like ooh the man in black ooh <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's really fantastic and that's just one of the things that I want for my children like I you know music is the most important driving force in my life and I hope it can be the same for them and you know maybe it will be or maybe it won't but at least they'll be knowledgeable <laughs> yes well, <there's, laughs> and now you've got things like that that 10 year old british girl who's over there like playing drums and now she's learning guitar and all these other things i can't remember her name offhand but now she's like jamming with dave grohl virtually yeah this metallica i know, <laughs> know who you mean and i don't know her name her name either but so good. it's totally true and yeah, we also have, so Hank, my 11-year-old son, is doing guitar lessons, and, you know, because of COVID, they're all over Zoom, so I actually get to sit in and hear him on them, and he's less musical than Otis. Did you ever play instruments growing up? Yeah, I'm, I play piano um, pretty well. But um, Hank is by a long shot the lesser musical one of my children. You know, he likes to sing, but he's usually off key. And I wasn't totally sure he would really enjoy music lessons, but he's doing really, really well with guitar. And huh. so 
two of the main songs that he's been working on since I mean he's only been in lessons for like six months so he's been doing Move On Up from Curtis Mayfield and uh, Dust in the Wind from every guitar lesson in the history right. of time <laughs> when I listen to him play and like also I am like the world's worst guitar player. <laughs> like I can't even make my hands into the shape that is supposed to be the shape to play guitar. Like I'm terrible, <laughs> you know, like I can play the beginning of Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> That's it. And so to hear Hank do that and also to seem to really love it is wonderful. Otis is a I'm hoping that he ends up being an actor eventually it really seems like his personality and talent and so he participates in the Pittsburgh Youth Chorus which is like a like an audition chorus it'll be his second year this year and he's a really really wonderful little singer He's also exceptionally good at identifying when songs come onto the radio. He's like, oh, is this Bob Marley? Oh, is this John Legend? Oh, is this that guy who sang that other thing and that other thing? Like, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's very good. So That's awesome. Well, and I wonder, too, did you grow up then like in one of those Columbia House or BMG clubs because you know you'd pay the uh, kids today don't even understand yeah yeah you pay the penny and you get like 10 CDs and you only have to buy one during the year and it was a pretty good deal I got some box sets from there that were really good deals and uh so between that yeah and like the public library those were kind of my two the the library started having CDs at a certain point so I would go nuts over there and make tapes and tape stuff off the radio and oh my goodness yes so columbia house and bmg pretty much ruled my life for the entirety of high school and (laughs) man how great was that did you like Like, rejoin under different names so you could get the deal yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yes it's like basically as soon as i had enough babysitting money to you know have extra money I was like, oh, well, I can just sign up my little sister. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I hate to like wax nostalgic about this stuff because I know like at this point in time, everybody can just listen to whatever the hell they want on Spotify for nothing. But like, aren't you? grateful and happy that like you had to go to a neighborhood 45 minutes away to try to find the Pearl Jam B-side whatever yeah yeah you had to make those decisions like I only have 15 bucks right now I can buy this (laughs) or I can buy that you know (laughs) to have actually stood outside in line for a midnight sale yep i I mean it just it made music so much more special (laughs) and it should be that special because it 
is that special? <laughs> well, I think, you know, there's a distinct memory where I was at JCPenney, who used to carry albums and tapes. <laughs> and I literally, that's all I had was enough money to buy either the Peter Gabriel So cassette or Brian Adams. I had it down in my mind. Too. It was <laughs> one of those two. And I went with Brian Adams. And I regretted it ever after. Well, I eventually got You know what? circling back to phil collins you're not wrong like yes i mean peter gabriel so is one of the best albums of all time right but brian adams fucking whale (laughs) he was pretty good back then yeah he still is yes like (laughs) he bought a six string at the five and dime (laughs) So in your house growing up then, it was, it sounds like it was a pretty musical house. And uh, is that kind of, did you know at a certain point in your life you were going to be in the music industry somehow? Or did you have radio dreams from a young age or? Those are a series of interesting questions. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say that we had a musical house because my mom really, really, she was obsessed with music just the same way that you and I are from a young age. In fact, she grew up like an hour north of Pittsburgh and she used to like organize chartered bus trips for other high school and college kids to, you know, to pay for the ticket and whatever percentage of the bus was necessary to drive down to Pittsburgh to go see like Led Zeppelin and the Who and all that stuff and in fact my parents have been divorced for about 20 years ish and my mom is now partnered with one of the guys who used to go on those trips regularly who was he went to a catholic school nearby and you know, I mean, just like me, music has been a driving force of her lifetime. My dad does not really, I don't know. I mean, it's not like he dislikes music, but it doesn't move his soul the way that it moves yours and mine and my mom's. But from before I can even recall memories, I just loved music. Um, In fact, my best friend asked me the other day, what were the first favorite songs that I had or things that made me love music? And she's about five years older than I am. And my honest answer to her was like, I desperately loved music before I even have any memories of anything. But I can say that I was five in 1981, and so I I went back through, like, the music I could remember from 1981 and, like, my first favorite songs, and I remember that they were Queen of Hearts by Juice Newton, and let's see, I think I made a whole big list. You remember that uh, show Solid Gold? Did you ever watch that? <laughs> Did I ever watch that? It's like my it's like my whole life. <laughs> so shamefully I loved air supply. Oh my, okay. 
<laughs> Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Yep. The Tide is High by Blondie. Mm-hmm. Leather and Lace from Stevie Nicks and Don Henley. In the Air Tonight is from that year, so obvi, Phil yeah, Collins. Yeah. <laughs> Every Little Thing She Does is Magic. Um, Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads. Who Can It Be Now by um, Men at Work, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, sort of embarrassingly, Leader of the Band by Dan Fogelberg. I really, really love Dan Fogelberg. did i hear you say you love me by stevie wonder okay i know the title properly is you make my dreams but really it's you make my dreams Uh oh man i love that rock and soul greatest hits i had that all in oats tape i just wore that out (laughs) i love rainy night by eddie rabbit Mm -hmm. start me up duh and I don't know. I mean, you know, those those were the early things. But I can tell you that I guess the first, like, cash money I had was probably from in birthday cards or something. I mean, I, I don't know. But I do know that I spent the first money I had. I had one of those, like, you may remember this, too. It was like a Fisher-Price record player. Mm-hmm. It was like khaki and orange and cream but it was you know it was a real record player so I spent like the first the very first money I ever had that was my own on records I know that the first record I ever bought with my own money was whatever the Commodores put out in 1982 and then I think like the third or fourth record i bought was thriller which was thrilling (laughs) um and i had a really awesome second grade teacher who would like she just allowed us to do whatever we wanted for recess (laughs) and so what i wanted for recess was just to stay in and listen to thriller with (laughs) whomever wanted to be there with me and that was fantastic (laughs) that is funny well did you have a station that you grew up listening to because i have you mentioned eddie rabbit and juice newton i mean i remember those songs yeah. Not that we listened to the country station. We listened to WLS out of Chicago. Even though we were four hours away, we could get that. And they had, you know, yeah. Lou Jack and Fred Winston, these great DJs. And they would, those were just the top 40 songs. It didn't really matter what genre it was at the time. Yeah, um, so true. So you had those crossover kind of hits. Islands yeah, in the Stream and all that, you know. Oh, my God, Islands <laughs> in the Stream. And I wonder oh, why no one... So good. Has, Maybe we're moving towards that where it is kind of a genreless world now with all these playlists and streaming. Somebody's going to come along and invent that format, aren't they? Where it's just like Taylor Swift yeah. into, you know, whatever. <laughs> into, yeah, Tyler, the creator. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think so. I hope that's where we're going. And, you know, I mean, you know, from raising children, like they don't think of music as like, categorized into boxes they just they just like music so it'd be really nice if that's where we end up but in any case so growing up I spent my first 12 years in rural Ohio and the 
closest big town was Steubenville, Ohio, and there was a local station called Rocky 103, which was 103.5, and it was, like, mostly rock, but they also played some pop stuff. I mean, they kind of trying to span the spectrum. Where we were, we were only like an hour away from Pittsburgh, so we also got Pittsburgh stations. So B94 was the pop station, like the station that played the top 40 and whatnot. Madonna and AHA and all the one-hit wonders when we were young. That was a fun station for me. And then WDVE, 102.5. It is one of the flagship classic rock stations in the country and very influential and has been since I was a little kid. And, you know, I still have it programmed into my presets. There are times when I flip past it and it's playing like um, an obvious example is Pink Floyd. I fucking hate Pink Floyd. Like, <laughs> put me to sleep god but even like you know sometimes here's another embarrassing fact to admit about me i like journey but boy when you live in pittsburgh you hear a lot of journey <laughs> i just don't escape know. man that was one of my big tapes <laughs> yeah my earliest favorite things <laughs> but you know i credit when i was growing up my parents basically just had DVE on the radio all the time. And, you know, despite some glaring, unfortunate inconsistencies, such as, let's say, sticks. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, big in Pittsburgh, I know. Or the Renegade song, right? <laughs> so how did that become the, the anthem of the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is, is there a story behind that or is it kind of random? No, you're totally right. Um, I don't really know the answer to that. I only have recently realized this, like in the last couple of years. I didn't realize it was such a big thing. Well, it's only been a big thing in the last couple of years. Oh. It, it has not historically been like a big part of the Steelers, but I don't even really know if there's an answer for it. Like, I think the person who controls the music being pumped into the stadium when stuff is happening just like one day decided that maybe renegade would get people pumped up because again we live in pittsburgh it's a dve culture <laughs> like i mean it it basically makes no sense is what i'm telling okay, you however right. it has totally been a thing for like the past five years wow. and it gets it gets pittsburgh people pumped up to the <laughs> <laughs> well so tell us how you got from Pitt. did you do like college radio when you were at Pitt, and then you made it down to austin at what point yeah so i'll try not to get sad talking about this topic but i um i was a really superb student and i got into every college that i applied to and I thought that that was like my entire job growing up was just to like 
you know, do the things that your dad told you to do and then things would work out for you. But when I got back all of my acceptance letters from Cornell and Northwestern and Boston College and NYU and stuff, my dad was just like, well, I'm not paying for any of this. So after that point, I just applied to Pitt at the last minute because I knew it would be cheap for me. And so I ended up going to Pitt. I was a decent high school athlete, but I knew I wasn't good enough to really be a college athlete in any capacity. But, you know, the one thing I knew about myself for sure was that I loved and cared about and understood more about music than basically anybody I knew. And the thing I wanted to do the most was to work at the college radio station. And so as soon as I moved into my dorm, even before classes started or anything, I went down to the radio station and I talked to the the girl who functioned as the the HR person <laughs> for the uh, college radio station. And, you know, she got me right away and she hired me to do my own show right away. It was Tuesday mornings from 10 to noon. To oh, that's very, a sweet very spot, man. <laughs> Zoom made me go through the ringer for a couple of semesters. I had to do 2 to 6 a.m. first. <laughs> That weeded out the all the people that were just there to, you know. <laughs> right. Well, yes. And then I did that for my whole freshman year. And I had not yet discovered YEP one day in my dorm, flipping through the dial on my stereo. I landed on some station playing Michelle and Deggio cello on the radio and I was like what the fuck (laughs) it turned out to be YEP and and I you know started listening religiously and you know I could tell from a little bit of time and attention that it was like professional but not totally professional like there were a lot of people who just had a show a week or whatever and so when I finished my freshman year of college I thought that I should maybe apply to be like a, a fill-in DJ or something on YEP and back then you know there was no voice tracking there was no automation people just had to be there all the time and I ended up getting the Friday overnight shift from midnight to 5 a.m. when there was no internet in the studio yet and it was just seriously you sitting there playing records and turning up the volume as loud as you felt like it when you put the right songs on. So I did that for about pretty close to a year, I think not quite. And then the Friday evening show opened up, which was eight to midnight. And that felt kind of like the ideal shift for me based on like the kind of music I like to play and, you know, just the 
the audience that I thought would respond to me. And uh, so I threw my hat in the ring to get that. And I ended up doing so. And so then I did that show, I guess, for like six years until when I started dating my husband, who did the Tuesday overnight show at YEP. That's how we met. And he had some cousins who lived in Austin. And he had been to South by Southwest the year before. And... We started dating in like October and he was planning to go back to South by Southwest in March. And uh, we had sort of gotten serious enough by that time that I was like, "Mm, seems like I should probably go to this thing with you. And so we went to South by Southwest in March of 2001. And, uh, you know, it was basically, I mean... Probably it still is, but it was basically impossible not to fall in love with Austin uh, as a music person then or now. Like, it was just so delightful. And South by Southwest was still pretty, I mean, it was big, but it was still small, you know, compared to what it is now. And uh, Matt's cousins were able to just get us wristbands, which cost like 80 bucks, which seemed astronomical at the time (laughs) in retrospect (laughs) was a pretty great deal and you know we just saw like tons of amazing stuff it was so absolutely wonderful and we kind of flew back on the plane home thinking that's the place we need to live and we need to get there as soon as possible so (laughs) um that's what we ended up doing and we moved there at the end of august that year so oh wow that was fast five months after but unfortunately we moved there without jobs um Mm. when the economy was booming and we ended up landing there 12 days before Mm. 9-11 E911 and um you know so then like the whole world was a confusing mess and nobody was hiring cuz nobody knew yeah the whole world was kind of on pause similar to yeah. now right and, i mean you know i had waited tables for a long time so i thought like at the very least i can probably get a job waiting tables but even that was hard it only took like two months but my god like thinking about that in (laughs) retrospect makes me think like I can't believe it was even that short because we each applied for a million jobs and I ended up getting offered to be the traffic coordinator for at the time it was KUT not KUTX yet but I'm like super nerdy and really detail oriented and the job that was supposed to take somebody eight hours a day to do just took me like two hours and 45 minutes. Like I was just bored out of my skull. Like I had nothing to do for most of the day. (laughs) And thankfully I had a receptive 
boss who appreciated me, the the PD, uh, Hawk Bendenhall, and he, you know, when I went to him and I was just like, listen, I mean, you're paying me a salary to work full time and I don't have shit to do. He was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I'm really here in the first place because of music and I would just like to do whatever I can for the music department and he was like okay well just when you finish your work every day like go ask Jeff to tell you what to do and I was like hmm okay that seems reasonable so (laughs) Jeff McCord who's still there right yeah yeah and so, you know, Jeff just started having me like evaluate albums, like pick focus tracks, kind of narrow down, like, you know, for the ones that I thought were worth playing, like, you know, what we should. Back then, we would pick like four or five focus tracks from an album and put the actual CD in the library and put a little sticker on the front kind of like with a paragraph describing what the band was about or you know what to say about them or whatever and so you know he just essentially set me to work reviewing albums and writing those paragraphs and picking focus tracks and you know it didn't take very long for him to recognize that I knew what I was talking about and (laughs) after I was there for about a year or so they decided to make a new position for me which was assistant music director which you know well about you know one of the big features of the station was that we had a live band on every day at noon and it became my responsibility to figure out how to schedule a band to be on live every day and then give them all their instructions for what they were supposed to do and when they were supposed to arrive and how they were supposed to load in and then sort of take care of them when they were at the station and then post their performances on our website after they had been recorded and aired. So what was one of your proudest booking acts during that time? You probably have a million, but that's such a wonderful question that I wish (laughs) more people cared about and got to ask her or were asked to me more often. So thank you for saying that. But, um, I mean, God, there are so many, but I, um, the I'll say the three that jumped to mind as you were getting through that sentence are um, actually, no, there's four. So I put Boone on the radio for, I think, the first time they were ever on the radio. It was when Girls Can Tell was out, and I absolutely loved them, and they were they were really starting to emerge as being huge and possibly important in my first year of doing that job. I would say the second that I know for sure is 
Gary Clark Jr. I know for certain that I put him on the radio for the first time that he had ever been on the radio and he was either 18 or 19 and either like I mean electric blues is really not my thing but I could recognize his talent and star potential so immediately that it it just you know it felt really important to put that guy on the air the third one was Graham Nash because I got to sit next to Graham Nash on the piano bench when he was playing our house and just sit there and (laughs) enjoy that Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm going to keep re- recalling these. There are more. So the first time I ever got to meet Mac, Ian McClagan, you know that he and his band, The Bump Band, lived in Austin for many, many years. Yeah, I uh, kind of think of them as being sort of South by ambassadors. Right. Right. <laughs> um, And so Mac is like one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. He's so totally kind and encouraging. Well, I guess I should say that in the past tense because he died a while ago. But the first time I had him into the studio, he brought an organ. And I don't know, he just, I think he just immediately felt some kind of kinship with me for whatever reason and and he said oh you know Melanie this is the same organ that I played when we did the (laughs) sorry it's me it's making me choke up a little bit talking about it um so this is this is the organ I played when I played the studio version of Maggie May and um, would you like to would you like to play it and I'll show you what notes and chords to play like I actually got to play the organ part of Maggie May on the actual organ that Maggie May was recorded on like that's pretty (laughs) fucking bonkers (laughs) and then my very last one i promise even though i keep thinking of like six more so i booked black delicious to come in and play live and i absolutely adore black delicious do you know them yeah yeah i feel like i saw black delicious during my college years they they came through mizzou in the early 90s yeah, that would right? make yeah. sense. Yeah. And I just absolutely love them. And um, when they were coming through Austin, I booked them to come in and and play live on the air. But, you know, back then, like 20 years ago, it was a pretty nerve-wracking thing because hip-hop is just not that widely accepted, as you know. I mean, it's become more so, and it will continue to become more so but it made me really nervous it felt like a big risk 
And then when I greeted them and got them settled into the studio, I told them like, so this is live, so you can't swear. And it was like hard for them to even wrap their heads around. Like I don't I don't even really think that you which words were swear words and which were not. And uh you know, so I basically spent like the entire hour just being fucking petrified that they were gonna say a bad word and I was gonna get fired. And well in K U T for folks that don't know is a university owned station, right? right? Or back back yes. then they were. Yeah, and, and still. Mm-hmm. Um and I was totally on edge, but not only did they manage to not do that, but they also were just like the sweetest, kindest, most appreciative people that I've ever come in contact with like they were so lovely and so grateful to have had the chance to be on the air and be heard by so many people and you know it made me feel exceptionally proud to have been able to bring that music that I loved to so many people who may not have heard it before and I just you know at the end of the day like that's the thing that I loved about being on the radio and that I miss about being on the radio is like you know when it all boils down all I ever wanted to do was share great music with people who might appreciate it and I had a long career of being able to do that and I hope maybe I can revive it and do it again yeah and I think it was I'm trying to go back through my memory banks I think it was 03 the first time I went to South by and I'm so glad I went we drove down from Columbia Missouri and it was you know you got to Texas and you still had another like eight hours to go or whatever yeah. <laughs> we thought we were almost there but we weren't close <laughs> Oh my God, I know. But it was still kind of like you were saying, and you know, South by was still a, a major deal, but they, I saw what it became, you know, in the, in the years yeah. after that. And it, Green Day was playing at a small place. Prince <laughs> came down and played at a tiny club. I, I got to see Van Morris and I got to see Ray Davies in these like small clubs, which was amazing. Oh. But I always felt like uh, I'm here to discover new bands and I'm not. Yeah but I can't pass up this, you know, once in a lifetime chance to of course not see these legends. So it kind of became, uh, I don't know, just one of those things where I, I'm like, okay, I've done this a few times. I, I know the deal. I love Austin, but I, I haven't been in a while and it, and it was such a bummer. That's, that's when you really knew this COVID stuff was, was going to be yeah. huge when they, they announced they were, had to cancel South by this year, of course. Yeah. So the timeline kind of is weird with you and me too, because you then moved back to Pittsburgh. And so somehow I, I came upon your, whatever show you were doing at the time, the the playlist from that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is because you were really only on the air, what, once a week at that point? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I'm like, okay, this, if, uh, you know, this job <laughs> happened to come open because I think you were moving back to right. Pittsburgh. So I applied for it and I, I didn't get it. I'm glad I went through the process at least. And I got to know Jeff McCord that way. And 
just a, such an outstanding station. And it's been so cool to see what they've done since then here in recent years where it's been kind of a battle with, it, it's always been, I guess, a battle on the, the airways for the AAA audience yeah. of, you know, what KUT has wanted to do and what KGSR has wanted to do. And they've created this KUTX thing and KGSR is really no more, right? Uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's on the air, but it's not, it it doesn't have anything to do with what KGSR traditionally is associated with. And, and also like Jody Denberg and Susan Castle, who were, two of the three regular weekday hosts at KGSR are now regular weekday hosts on KUTX. So, I mean, it's just KGSR is basically like if you threw pop Spotify at the wall and then just like saw what came out. They've aligned with Austin city limits though, right? In terms of the festival. Yeah. And it's a little confusing. Well, yeah, it's, it's disappointing, but you know, thankfully, KUTX is still great. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Susan because here's how cool she is. So I, it was that very first trip. We're driving down, and I think I heard her on the air, like we had a, arrived in the air signal range, and <laughs> I heard her promote that Patty Griffin was going to be in studio that day, or mm-hmm. maybe the next day, or something. And I, I just cold called her as we're driving in, I kind of explain, like, I'm a, you know, music director in Columbia, Missouri at a AAA and a commercial AAA. We admire what you guys do down there. And we're driving down. We're almost there. Like, is there any, how do you like get into the studio sessions? And she got me in to see Patty Griffin in studio with like no warning. She was just so nice and well, I mean, that's, no deal, that's you know? who she is, you know, that's, that's just her. And that's, you know, I'm sure she could feel your authenticity and just wanted to help you out. And uh, I'll just share one more thing. I know it's like way past dinner time and you need to go. But so I got, I started my job at KUT on November 1st. And so the first South by Southwest that I lived there was four and a half months later. And back then it really started at like happy hour time on Wednesdays, like nothing really happened before, let's say 3.30 PM on Wednesdays. And we just heard through the grapevine that Patty Griffin was going to be playing a show at Jovita's, which was just like this, trashy Mexican restaurant on the south side of town at I don't know 4 or 30 or something and I I was like so so desperate to go and see it like because I had never seen her before and I loved her so much and you know but I've only had this job for four and a half months and I don't want to look like I'm slacking off and I don't really want to ask my boss and I'm not even you know, I'm not even in the music department yet. I'm just the traffic coordinator. So I don't really have to feel good about asking the PD if I, if it's okay, if I like beg off an hour early to go see Patty Griffin play. But 
I worked up the stones and I did and he was like of course like it's fine just go and so I did and I got down to this place and it's not a huge restaurant but it's also not small and it's basically like one big wooden paneled room and I get into there and she walks out and I mean the place is like it's beyond standing room only it's like you know you're pressed up against all the strangers who are within four sides of you and she was just playing solo and I swear to god for the entire hour you could have heard a pin drop literally (laughs) anywhere else in the room like every single person was completely enthralled and attuned to what she was doing and there was I mean there was not a noise I didn't hear ice clink I didn't hear (laughs) I mean nothing just it was that's rare for South by too, really right right but yeah I mean it again it's like the difference between now and way back then and it was just it it was so special like I will I will never ever never ever forget that well I wanted to just uh, maybe get a quick story or two from your song lines years when you did make the move to uh, yes to Pittsburgh but before that while we are kind of talking about the KUT era I wanted to get your take on you know there are these great stations like KUTX. There's one now in the Dallas area, KXC. I've been listening to them yep. a little bit lately. WFPK does a great job in Louisville. You yep. know these stations and the the call letters, and especially from working with Songlines uh, for the past ten years or so. I mean, what do you think about the prospects of a what if a new station like that came on today? Would you want to be involved in the inner workings of that what would would you just kind of wish them good luck or would you be a little trepidatious because you're almost you are kind of embarking on this universe where you're up against the spotify's and the youtube and apple music but you're also up against these the current you know has really made a national footprint right and kexp does a great job in seattle so yeah well this is a terrific question and also one that kind of pains me because um honestly like I have missed being in radio every single day since I left it um and you know I did it with good reason I think that I was a really great working partner to Sean and I know that I did my job in promotion very well Um, And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with having been on the radio side and and having taken music calls for many years and really understanding all the things that programmers are up against and trying to balance every day. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I mean... I still feel like a radio guy at heart and I I know that I have a place there that I could really relish and 
I mean, I don't want to be a cheese ball, but I, what I was going to say is like make people happy with, I mean, I, I do, I just love to find great music and to share it with people. And even, even now in this world that you mentioned with Spotify and Apple music and everything, I truly still believe that there's nothing there's nothing like the local community connection that a local radio station can give you and I'm thrilled that I have a wonderful one here in Pittsburgh with WYEP but you know I also frequently listen to the current and KEXP and you know, I value what I learn about their communities and their local music and, you know, the, the things that they care about when I listen to them and their music mixes are slightly different and I value all of it in a way that even when I, I'm happy to listen to new mixes on Spotify or whatever, but they you know no matter how great the music is it still feels kind of hollow because there's no context there's no I, I don't know there's just like they don't provide a way for you to digest and absorb it mm-hmm. and I still think even now that radio is the best medicine for all of that I still feel like I learn about the new artists I'm going to care about and the new releases from artists that I already care about from radio, real radio. Well, uh, I'll, I'll send Kyle an angry email and, and tell him he needs to give you a, a, at least a weekend shift or something once in a while. <laughs> I get it. You know, I get like a USPS mail crate full of 250 records a week. Like, I mean, what are we supposed to do? There, there has to be something additional to break through the chatter for you. And whether that's publicity you see or a promoter that you talk to or a story that you read or, you know, you just happen to pop it into the player and you're like, holy shit, this is great. There's only so much that you can do like at some point you just have to let it slide by and if you know if you happen to make that mistake with like Billie Eilish or something you know you you can come back to it in two months and be like oh we didn't hear this in the first place but we fucked up and let's fix it but you know most of the time like the reason that people like you and me and Kyle have these jobs is because we usually get it right in the first place <laughs> well and it's funny too at YEP now Liz Mazzocco is doing the night show I think she was my former yep. program director mm-hmm. in, in Missouri I did want to discuss the topic of as you and I can kind of speak more freely maybe now that we're not really in the industry anymore maybe <laughs> most of my past guests are still in so I feel like there was maybe a little holding back Adam yeah. 
one last week. So he's, he never holds back on anything. <laughs> yeah. but what's your sense of how much, if any progress is being made in terms of women being represented, diversity on, on the AAA format, I guess, is what I'm speaking of mainly. I know Carmel Holt, who we both know, uh, she's doing her new podcast, She Rose, kind of spotlighting women, yeah. artists, which is pretty awesome. Um, you know, I really think, I guess you started out asking that question about YEP, but I think you, um, broadened it out to just be general. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. In the format. Yeah, and, so, and there is kind of a split, you know, with commercial versus non-commercial triple A's, but, um, right. sort of your take on that. So, I mean, personally, I think it's outstanding. I think that, you know, people who are drawn to the kind of jobs that we're drawn to and who run the kind of stations that we find appealing are already pretty far ahead of the curve on this whole thing. And, you know, so they tend to set the trends rather than to follow the trends and you know I think for years and years you know at least stations like the ones that you and I kind of are drawn to the the YEPs and the XPNs and the currents and the KEXPs have always been leaders on adding more diversity into the mix and it's interesting i i kind of think that there's like some proportion of like feeling like this is a a necessity or like a quoted a fill or something like that but the truth is that it's not that at all it's simply presenting a fair representation of the makeup of our wonderfully vast country and do I think that it's necessary that stations try to have a 50-50 split between songs with male and female vocalists or music from the 70s versus the 80s versus the 2000s of course not you should play the best music that you think is going to appeal to the broadest scope of your listeners but there is a big big part of that that is very simply people deserve and want to feel represented in culture and to be able to feel like they're identified with and they are understood and i think that that is a really massive part of the appeal of just for example michelle obama is beloved because she is authentic and kind and smart and caring and little girls who have brown skin get to see her and think someday I could have that kind of impact on people. And I think it's exactly the same thing, of course, in a smaller microcosm, but, you know, for music, like, how great is it that this year we've 
seen all this wonderful stuff from Peter Cottontail and Krongben. Mm-hmm. And I just think that we were already better poised to do more to make people feel represented and heard because not only is it our natural inclination, but it's also something that we have been pointedly trying to do. And I think that that's us ahead of the curve on all this stuff. And I'm grateful for that because God, do I never want to tune into a radio station and hear 45 minutes full of white guys sing over and over again. Like never. I never want that. (laughs) Not once. Well, and I feel like some of these newer uh, female artists, younger female artists, uh, almost harken back to that college radio sound when you and I first kind of started in college radio. Yeah. (laughs) Whether it's that first album by the Breeders or Throwing Muses and all the bands that were around back then, Blake Baby. (laughs) And, And not only just them, but like, you know, how wonderful is it to have like, have the voices of Phoebe Bridgers and Waxahachie. And I mean, there are so many insanely smart and compelling and interesting young singer songwriters you know laura marling like i am so so grateful to have those voices well just quickly about your uh not to distill your song lines tenure down to uh, a soundbite but uh <laughs> what go ahead and humble brag on a like you did with her with the bands that you brought to KUT back in the day to play in studio um what were some of your highlights maybe one or two of the oh sure or maybe like an unlikely story of of a band that you were able to work with hmm okay also very fun and well phrased question so um Okay, I'll circle back around to one who I mentioned in the KUT portion and for whom I feel an incredible amount of, um, uh, I don't know, pride, I guess, kind of. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Promotion is weird because even if you perceive some victories for yourself, you can never be really sure that you had that much of an impact on them. And you certainly can't think that they're your own. But I do like to think that I had a pretty big impact on a handful of artists going further at AAA than they might have had I not been in my position and the first one I was alluding to that I'll circle back to is Spoon. Um, When Spoon made ga 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 ga. (laughs) Let's see, was that four or five? It's five gas. I don't know how many I said. (laughs) I was like, holy crap, they've done it. This is when they're going to break through the underdog and you've got your cherry bomb are going to be easily hits for our format. And I really, frankly, just busted my hump trying to convince Sean that this was the time that it was worth, you know, convincing Merge to put enough money behind this record to 
push it through and I did convince him and Merge did do that. And then we ended up with, I believe, a number one and a number four single from that record on the monitor chart from a band who had never charted at monitor AAA ever before. And I only had the tiniest role to play in that because I just knew it was that good and I was willing to stake my claim on it and you know it's all due to Spoon making a freaking fabulous record but I still do feel at least pleasantly happy with myself for sticking my neck out for them. Did they remember Um, you from booking them for the first on-air thing? Surely they did. (laughs) <laughs> or did you yeah. never find out <laughs> yeah i don't know it doesn't even matter i mean i you know i'm not an artist i don't yeah all I, i'm just a professional appreciator you know i just want the people who make the good stuff to be recognized and yeah and understood but by uh just to clarify when you say put money behind that means assemble the team of people that's then going to harass the radio stations enough to <laughs> champion the band and say hey you need to be playing this and you you sometimes have to beat that drum loudly and frequently yes the, the radio I, people I might take issue with is. the word harass but otherwise <laughs> yes that's that's exactly right so you know when uh I can't imagine there will be that many people listening to this podcast who won't already know this but just to, to explicate like yes uh so when a record gets released a label has to decide how much money they have to allocate to put behind its publicity which means the press budget and its promotion which means the radio budget and you know a whole host of other things that i don't even really know much about and um you know generally speaking a quote-unquote smaller record will not have that much of a budget put behind it to get played on the radio because they don't necessarily have faith at the label that the money they're going to invest is going to get it played on the radio any more than it will if they don't allocate that money. So at Songlines, we advocate very strongly for both smaller-ish records that um, we just hope are going to get onto the non-com, the public radio chart uh, with our help. We also, when we know we have something that sounds incredibly special, like it's probably going to have a chance to break through wider, which just two other records I can throw that out about as examples are um, the Avett Brothers record Emotionalism before they were really known. Um, Sean and I both felt incredibly strongly about and felt like it was worth getting that music heard by a wider audience. And also the Arcade Fire record, The Suburbs, same deal like you know they had sort of been press darlings and really raved about uh in their live shows and stuff for 
a couple of years and everybody who was quote unquote in the know was aware of them. But we felt pretty certain that the more people who could be aware of them, the better they would do and the more important they would become. And, you know, so we advocated for them to get some more backing than the label was necessarily ready to give at that point. And now you've got the indie labels seem to have kind of figured out that it's not a formula because it's an imperfect uh, yeah. scenario depending on the, the artists and the timing and the songs themselves. But uh, it is it has been kind of cool to see, you know, some of those associations, whether it's a band like Spoon going to the major label route and then coming back to the indie route or, you know, the war on drugs signing with yep. Atlantic and yep. you know, I've seen th- a lot of things I never thought I would see yep. in the past few years in terms That's, of indie rock. There's no doubt about that. And AAA is kind of adoption of that sound. Um, yeah, totally. So and I'm glad uh, they finally got around to it after you and I had been, you know, on that <laughs> end of things for <laughs> a, a better part of a decade. It, it right. finally took, right? <laughs> so other stuff promotion-wise that has, um, I don't know, fit my fiddle, I suppose. Um, I'm like an enormous Tom Waits fan. And so the fact that we've gotten to work every record of his on Anti for the whole time I've been at Songlines is just like just an absolute pleasure to me like I think whenever people ask me about Desert Island Discs like I I usually pick Rain Dogs but I always at least pick one Tom Waits record because I just feel like no matter how many times you've heard him or heard his songs like you still find something new in them and they still keep giving after you've known them for 20 years um and uh i would say also feist i just think feist is like a really singular and interesting artist and um i'm very very proud to have had any kind of anything to do with helping her advance to any greater heights if I did Um, my morning jacket who I just adore and I think Jim James is like the bee's knees and very very thankful to have been able to do any little part in uh, helping more people hear them Um, let's see oh Oh my God, I can't believe it took me this long to get around to um, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. I really, truly could not adore Sharon Jones any more than I do. And I spent years, years trying to convince Daptone that it was worth spending the money to try to get her promoted and onto AAA radio and I mean it took like four albums but it finally happened and we got to work her last two before she died and I just feel really beyond grateful for that because she going to say she was a force of nature but I I even think she still is a force of nature I'm sorry that we've lost her but she's incredible 
We had a champion of hers from pretty early on here in the area, as far as local booking goes. And now he's like the main booker in, in Charlottesville. So, Oh, nice. You know, getting to see her. That's basically where I met my wife at the Sharon Jones show. Oh, Charlotte, wow. So. That's so cool. So, that would have been circa 08. <laughs> that Avid Brothers album too, you mentioned that was when I first, you know, coming from the Midwest, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. they, they were already right. known in North Carolina, but beyond that, that emotionalism album, I think is the one that did it for them. So there was a, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it just slays me even to this day. I think yeah. it sounds ahead of its time. It's just like genre busting. And I think and, there were 40 people at the in-store that they played when that, that came out wow. here. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, it's, that's a pretty good it's list. So hard to, yeah, it's really <laughs> hard to stop going on with this. I guess I was just going to say one more, which was um, I thought really, hard to work Chance the Rapper to the format when his last full album came out because I just I think it I mean as as you know and maybe I even said like Stevie Wonder is my all-time favorite artist and I just really think that what Chance did on that record is more like songs in the key of life than anything else I've ever heard like it's it's gospel it's soul it's funk it's foundations of hip-hop like it's absolutely can't even think of the right word for it it's like stomach stirring I mean it's just the way that he's able to make you feel even if you're not a person of faith or a young person or a Chicagoan or any number of things. I just, I think he's truly, truly one of our great young artists and I can't wait to continue to see what he offers up to us. Well, uh, so many great insights and stories. Thank you, Melanie. And uh, we appreciate the time. I was, uh, we usually close this out by having um, I guess choose an artist or two or three that they're currently listening to. Are you going back through maybe older favorites like you mentioned, uh, Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder during this quarantine time, or are you able to keep track of new stuff? You know, actually, I've been really trying to obsess over new stuff. So in January, when I um, stopped working for Songlines, uh, honestly, it took a few months and I was just too sad. And I couldn't listen to anything new anymore um, for a little while. But, um, you know, when that impulse is in your blood, it you can't sustain it for long. And um, so I would say the two songs that I've been kind of, I mean, I've been listening to tons of new stuff and, and also a lot of the radio stations we mentioned. But the two songs that jump out at me when you ask me that question are this new song from semisonic you are not alone is like just earth shattering and i can't believe that dan wilson can still hit all of those notes even still like right. he's he's remarkable i think and, i heard that the other day and i was just like it sounds like 1996 yeah. you know they yeah and and i mean it's just it's such a song for 
what we're all facing right now. It's really, it's, I mean, truly it's been helping me. And the other one is this, uh, have you heard this new Heartless Bastards song, Revolution? No. It's unreal. Oh my God. As soon as we hang up, you have to go listen to it. It is. It's another one that's, um, was inspired by what's happening, happening to us right now. And it just keeps like building and building until it crushes you with its amazingness. Like it it is killer. (laughs) So check it out. Nice. Well, she spent Erica spent some time down there in Austin, right? Among her travels. Uh, yeah, I think she. I think she actually lives there regularly. Well, I knew yep. she had done a solo record not too long ago, so now she's back yep. with the the bastards. Good deal. Well, oh, yep. and I thought of who. So the dinosaur train guy is Joe Purdy. He's the one who's writing. Oh, of course, yes. Songs and some of the scripts, I think, for those <laughs> shows. So it all comes back. We circle back to that. And, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Little baby was a different size. Big teeth, <laughs> two green eyes. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh man, so good. Well, we appreciate the time, Melanie, so much. And I'm glad it worked. I'm glad everyone's back to being healthy in, in your you. household. And it's been uh, the past few weeks have been. <laughs> <laughs> kind of bumpy <laughs> whatever's been going around there in pittsburgh so um <laughs> well thank you thankfully it hasn't been the c word so that's good <laughs> yeah at least so far <laughs> well thank you and and honestly um i mean i i hope you get some good content out of this i always feel sort of nervous like i'm not gonna have in, anything interesting to say but i hope that there's enough there for you to mine and um and Quite honestly, it was just so nice to have all this time to feel like I was talking to a friend who gets me, which I don't really get to have that much anymore. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melanie Schroeder from Pittsburgh, PA. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we may have to have you back on. If I'm still doing this uh, podcast next year, well, maybe uh, there's a couple other questions that are still lingering out there from uh, the topics I had written down. We, oh my gosh. We All can, right. I'm game. We can end on this note. There's a new Pearl Jam side project, Stone Gossard and a guy. Oh my God. Pretty Whoa, sure. Sorry. He, he's <laughs> okay. done a new album. You go with, ahead first. He's done a new album with Mason Jennings. Yes. Speaking of Pittsburgh. He was a Pittsburgher at one point. I think Mason was. Yes. And was always one of our favorite guys to have in the studio. Just so unassuming and relatable and just yeah you know. he's delightful and yeah. i just the, the reason i burst into screaming <laughs> was because i can't even believe that when you were asking me about my pride at certain things at songlines, uh i cannot even imagine that i didn't stress the fact that i did get to work two Pearl Jam records, which if you had told me when I was 16, I would have just said, okay, like, kill me now. I can just die and go to heaven. And uh, also, I got to work two Tori Amos records and the same thing. And uh, I, you know, those, like, when I was in high school, it was U2 and R.E.M. and Pearl Jam and Tori Amos and the fact that like I got to 
have produced and received in the mail and now have in my attic like a promo produced CD single from both Pearl Jam and Tori Amos that has my name on it. <laughs> it's, uh, will sustain me for a, a good ways to go. <laughs> nice. Yes, that is awesome. <laughs> I, I think you and I are about exactly the same age. And so much of my early musical education ended up coming from MTV because we were able to get cable like really early on. But, you know, you still end up, I mean, running into gaps. There's, there's such a beautiful thing about music that it's like full of it's never ending you know you can you can spend your entire waking life just digging into every single rabbit hole or artist or reference to an artist or deeper tracks from an artist that you know you like but you only know their singles or whatever I mean you could spend your entire life doing that and you could still never get to the end of it. And I think that's the thing that is like incredibly moving and profound and wonderful. I don't know. Like there, I guess you can probably hear in my voice right now that I'm a little wistful about it because, you know, it makes me sad a little bit to know that, I'll never have enough time to really get to the bottom of it. But I also know that every five minutes or 20 minutes or any amount of minutes that I've ever spent delving into it just makes me more grateful to be a person who's alive in the world. I mean, I just, to throw out a random example, like one of my friends from high school a guy who I always liked but I mean you know we knew each other but he posted a thing on Facebook the other day saying that like Stevie Wonder was his favorite artist of all time and the whoever came in second wasn't even close and I just replied like absolutely the same for me and you know, then we ended up having this like five days long text conversation about the greatness of Stevie Wonder. And he asked me like what my favorite songs were. And he told me what his favorite songs were. And it's like, you know, how great is that, that this person who I haven't even seen for 25 years and I connected on this basis and shared this deep love for this artist I just don't I don't know anything else that can do that I think that there's maybe like a an approximation that film can do like I think that movies can do that for people also to a certain extent but at least for me, they're not visceral. They're not so vital as music is. I love the fact that I can just be like randomly driving down the highway and falling slowly comes on YEP and 
I start singing along and then a minute and a half into it, I'm crying my eyes out because it's just so beautiful that it makes me feel lucky to be alive, you know? Or it takes you back to that moment when you, you know, saw the movie or first heard the song and, or you just have yep. that four minutes where you flash back through all these memories that that song <laughs> evokes, right? <laughs> totally. And that song in particular, I was fortunate to go to the uh, PJ 20 Pearl Jam 20th anniversary celebration they had like oh, over two nights. Flutter my heart. And uh, <laughs> it was at Alpine Valley of all places, uh, which was kind of an odd place, but I'd never been there. I grew up in the Midwest. Alpine Valley? Where's yeah, that? Was, it's north of Chicago. I think it's between Chicago and Milwaukee, basically. Okay. And it's just a dump of an amphitheater. <laughs> you know, it's got a huge hill which after the rains came down, it, w- it was just a muddy slog in, in places. And, but they had kind of like Lollapalooza back when I first saw Pearl Jam in the early 90s, they had a side stage. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Eddie Vedder popped up during Glenn Hansard's set and they sang oh, it together. And we were like 10 feet away from that. And it was just so Oh cool. my God, I'm totally I, I like- I didn't want to be the guy like, you know, out I'm with my camera sure and recording it. <laughs> but I'm like, I have, so I basically had my phone in my pocket and I was recording just the audio on my phone. You know? So good. <laughs> I haven't done a cartwheel in 20 years, but I'm quite sure that if I stood up right now, I could do one from happiness of that. That's wonderful. Oh, and I don't know, did you happen to uh, see or be aware of like Glenn Hansard's 50th birthday was... Uh, sometime in April and he did like a you know like a free uh, online concert from his dining room table which oh, was wow. horrible and uh, you know he played a few beautiful songs and then whomever his girlfriend is right now said Glenn there's a call we should patch in to the performance right now and it was Eddie Vedder calling from Chicago and nice. just like cracking open a Guinness for Glenn's birthday. And <laughs> they had such a nice conversation together. And I just, I truly love feeling the rapport and appreciation that certain musicians have for one another. And I just think Glenn Hansard is unbelievably underappreciated and totally incredible and it just makes me happy that you know somebody of Eddie's stature sees that too and tries to amplify it because that's that's really a fantastic thing but swinging back around I don't know if you and I have ever actually talked about love of Pearl Jam. I don't, I don't feel like we have. And uh, it can be a polarizing topic. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you and I are on the right side of it. Good, you know, good. Okay. People need to go to hell. <laughs> if Pearl Jam ever gets to tour again, maybe I'll, uh, I'll check out the Pittsburgh show instead of, Oh my God. That would if be I'm so going to have to fun. drive the last two hours, I'm going to have to go to Baltimore anyway. So that's halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> at least <laughs> so. 
All right. Take care, Melanie. Thanks so much. Thanks.